Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share real and personal stories of encountering God and experiencing His goodness. I am your host, Robin, and in case you do not recognize my voice, I'm going to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode, number 73. Kelly has been our voice of the podcast since we started, and last week she shared her story of passing the mic to us as God calls her to new adventures and and a new journey, and so you can hear her story in episode 73. But moving forward, starting today, I am your host, and I have with me Katie, Dawn, and Lindy, and we will be, we will be your people. We'll be talking and We'll open up the podcast every week with a, a little bit of talking about the story, and then we're really going to sit at the end and, and have a conversation about it. So Dawn, tell us a little bit about you. Hey, I'm Dawn, and I'm the Media and Technical Director for um, Storyteller. So basically, any correspondence you're getting through Instagram, through emails, that's all coming from me. And my role here on the podcast is really just going to be to just just really sit in all the feels with you. <laughs> yeah, so that. That is you, Dawn. I am Lindy, and I, if you're bringing feels, I'm bringing fun. Um, I, I, I work on the business development side of things, and I work with our sponsors for the podcast and any fundraising that, that we do for Storytellers Live. What about you, Katie? My name is Katie, and I am the director of content here at Storytellers, and I'm going to be announcing who our upcoming storyteller is for the day, and I guess you're bringing the feels, the fun, and I'm more of the spiritual content. <laughs> So you're going to be hearing me um, bring a little bit of God's word into each of these stories. I'm so excited to be here. And just as a side note, you will hear Lindy when we have podcast advertising. It will be Lindy's voice that you hear. So that's just a little bit of who we are, what's going to happen in this podcast in the future. And really, we just want to let you all know why we're here, why we do Storytellers, what we hope you get from it. You know, it's Storytellers. Our heart is for you to meet Jesus in a new way, to hear a story and go, wow, if he can do that for that person, he can do that for me. And so that you don't feel so alone. So many of us feel so alone in life. And our hope and prayer is that through hearing these stories, you realize you're not alone. And not only that, we really, um, the heart of storytellers when it started was to bring down walls and build community. And so we hope again in our prayer through you hearing these stories is that you are sitting with some friends having coffee, discussing these stories and building community and that you see a woman in the grocery store or at church or at the ball field and and you go, I know her. I know more about her now and, and that connections are built. And if you don't have somebody to sit with coffee and talk about these stories and sit with us because we're sitting here at the end of every episode doing just that we're, we're all friends we all love each other and we're just going to be sitting and talking about stories just like y'all so jump in and join us and now that you know a little bit of who we are and what we're about we're going to jump into today's story which is Casey from Memphis and Katie if you'll just tell us a little bit about her story one of my favorite things about Casey is she tells her story with humor <laughs> honesty and she is so vulnerable in speaking about her walk with God. I think it's going to speak to so many of our listeners as it spoke to each one of us. I know that we each had some favorite parts in it. I just love how she just really paints that picture for us of life in the 90s. So I, I'm, I can't wait for you all to listen to this. Dawn, I pictured you riding in that forerunner that she talked about. <laughs> and we called this story hiding in plain sight. And when you listen, you will hear that. So many times we try and run from God and she talks about running to chaos or running from chaos and that a lot of times she was really just in her darkest moments hiding in plain sight. So here's Casey's story.
Today's episode is sponsored by Bulo, a company founded by Delphine Carter, one of our past storytellers whom you can hear in episode 22. Many women struggle to maintain job demands while meeting family and household responsibilities. Typically, women feel forced to take the off-ramp and pause their career until the children get older. This has a financial impact on the family, and for many women, confidence and ambition can suffer. Bulo offers another option. The Bulo platform surfaces part-time and contract work opportunities with companies that respect your choice to blend work and family. Wherever you are on your career path, still working full-time but looking for options, or ready to jump back in, Bulo can help you find your right professional fit. Go to BuloSolutions.com to take the first step. That's B-O-U-L-O Solutions.com. glad to be with y'all. I've been so nervous about this. It's just much easier to teach than it is to tell your own story. I'm not, I don't say that for a pity party. I just, I hide a lot and you'll see that as, as I talk about my story. But a little background Kelly already hit. I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi. My parents are still there and they're married. They've been married 50 years. They just celebrated 50 years. And I have an older sister, three years older. She lives in Alabama. She's a school principal, achiever. She was the achiever, good kid in the family. And you'll hear that more about how I was not that. And I think when I've been thinking about this story, really two things stand out from my early years, something when I was five years old and something when I was 11. So I'm going to tell both of those stories first, then kind of walk you through how Jesus has continued to rescue me. My story is definitely not over. And I feel like at every turn, I see new seasons of his work in my life, which I'm grateful for, but it's often through my hiding or rebellion. So when I was five years old, this is my parents' favorite story to tell about me. And it's not that funny (laughs) because it makes me look really bad. But it's five years old. It's my fifth birthday. It was July 1980. My parents got me a doll stroll, a baby stroller and a baby doll. And we lived in this, it's the same house that I grew up in, that they're in now, brown shag carpet. And my grandparents were over, aunt and uncle's sister was there. And I wanted to do a grand entrance of my baby doll and stroller. So I'm coming down the hall and with the brown shag carpet and the stroller's not moving like I want it to move. And it's not making the turn into the big entrance for my grand entrance. (laughs) And so I start back over and do it again. Granted, 1980, we didn't have American Girl doll stuff. It cost a bazillion dollars. So I'm trying to push this thing and it's not going anywhere. And finally, I was like, oh, picked up the stroller with the baby strapped in, threw it against the wall and walked out of the room. <laughs> My mom said, oh, Lord, see, I told you that one's got a fire in her belly. I remember it like it was yesterday and it stuck with me. I'm like, yes, yes, uh, yes, I did. Yes, I do. And then the second story happened a few years later. I was 11 years old. It was a summer and I was shooting baskets and playing basketball in the front yard in the in our carport. And my next door neighbor was cutting her grass and she had a son that was my age and her husband was at work. She was cutting the grass and you could hear the hum of the mower while I'm shooting. I was out there by myself and you could hear the mower. And then all of a sudden you hear this clunk and she starts yelling and she starts yelling for her son, Bill, to come and help her. So I run over 
we have a chain link fence between us. I jump the fence and run over and we help her. A nail went in her leg. It was terrible. I'm giving two crazy stories right from the start, but bear with me. And we get them fixed up. I leave their house. And I remember at 11 years old thinking, I want to be needed like that. I wish somebody would yell my name and I'd be needed like that. And I was like, oh no. So you take this fire in the belly, competition, competitive person with, I want to be needed and valued and used. And I combined those two things with sports more than anything else. At age six, I started playing sports and really never stopped. I played up until I decided to not play in college, which was a really big decision. It surprised my parents, my sister, all of my family and coaches like, what? Why don't you want to do this? And when I decided to not play sports in college, I decided to go to Mississippi State. I couldn't have played a sport there. And I went to college just, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm not going to have three hours of practice every day. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to live life however I want to live it, which I was already doing anyway. I grew up going to church. I grew up in a church home. I can't say I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a church home, but I didn't know Jesus. And I would profess him, but I, I Mississippi professed him. I don't, that's not a stab to our Southern people, but just everybody goes to church and it's just what you say and profess. And so really going to college and not playing sports was, was such a, a big decision that God was orchestrating that I had no idea what he was doing, but he was very clearly doing it. And so I get to college, I continue to kind of sow my wild oats. I started this party lifestyle at a very young age, very young age, probably around 12. And that continued until I was converted. We'll get there. And I had a friend in, in college who invited me to RUF, Reform University Fellowship, which is a college ministry that I work for now. And they said, just come to this Bible study. I was like, sure. I mean, you're sure not going to turn down a Bible study when you profess to be a Christian. The problem was it met on Thursday nights, which was the going out night in Mississippi State. And I like that y'all shook your head because you knew that. And so that kind of, you know, kind of interfered with my night. But we could go to that and then still go out. And I went to a few, you know, I had to do both at this point because my, my heart wasn't changed yet. And then I went to this, this RUF large group one night, and I think it was the, probably the third night I'd gone. It was over, and Brian Habig was teaching, and I went up to him and I said, hey, could we meet sometime? I have a couple of questions about some things you'd said. And he's like, sure, I'd be glad to. He said, how about next Friday morning? And I was like, okay, sure. So that's another miracle. <laughs> 8 a.m. on a Friday morning, granted. So it's April, my junior year in college. Again, I've lived however I wanted to live. And I show up to the bakery on campus at Mississippi State. And as I don't remember, I think it was, I do actually know the day. It was April 20th, junior year. And I don't remember if I'd been out all night and never went to bed or if I'd been out all night and maybe had a few hours of sleep. It was one of the two. But I know I hadn't changed my clothes from going out. And it's really sad when you think about it. But it's also just so sweet, God's kindness. Um, I can't cry this early. And it's too early. It's too early. But I show up. First of all, the miracle of all miracles, I get there on time. And I walk into the bakery and I reek of the night before. I reek of what my life was putting out, which was partying and doing whatever I want to. And we sit down in the bakery and I was dressed in, you know, it's mid nineties. So I either had on overalls and Birkenstocks or I had on <laughs> jeans, a Patagonia and vast hiking boots. I'm going to probably go with the latter more than the former. <laughs> We're sitting in the bakery talk. We're about to start the meeting. And I said, well, I just have a few questions. I won't take much of your time. And he's like, Oh no, I got an hour. And all I can think is no, 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 no. 
I've got to get to take a nap before lunchtime. So we got to speed this bad boy up. That's uh, what I was thinking. And I said, so my first question, and I asked him a, a question about something he spoke on. And he said, well, hold on. Before you get into this, let me ask you a question, Casey. And if you know Brian Habig, which you should. I would really encourage you to go listen to Downtown Prez Greenville podcast. He's my all-time favorite preacher, and and he's the man that taught me about Jesus. We just, yeah, he did our wedding, and but his voice is just so tender. And he said, let me, let me ask you a question first. And I was like, go ahead, thinking, clock's ticking, come on. <laughs> he said, what if you fell into heinous sin? And my response was, I'm in heinous sin, but I didn't say that. I said, I don't know. He goes, like, what if you fell into heinous sin? What would you fall back on? And I said, my faith. And he said, so your faith saves you? And I was like, I guess so. And he said, what do you think the purpose of Jesus' death on the cross was? And I sat there for a long time, like long pause, vivid, just um, I could smell myself. And I'm thinking, how can I get out of here? And I said, I have no idea. I was 20 years old. And he explained the gospel to me and I was converted on the spot. He explained the sweetness of who Jesus is and the purpose of his life and why he died on the cross. And my heart was changed immediately. And I don't remember walking back to my car, my 1989 Toyota 4Runner, the best car in the whole world. (laughs) I don't remember walking back to the car, but I remember getting in the car, turning on the ignition and Indigo Girls was playing because why not? It was blaring. And I turned it off and I'm driving from the, if you've been to Mississippi State, driving from the bakery to the Kappa Delta house to, cause that's where I was living at the time, my junior year. And I get to a stoplight and I said, oh, cuss word. I won't say what I said. I said, oh, cuss word. I know Jesus. And that, that really was my response that for the, first, should we, should we just close in prayer right now? <laughs> just wrap it up. But that was my response because I'd spent 20 years of my life living any way I wanted to live, professing Christianity, but I could do whatever I wanted to with my body, with whatever, I play sports, do anything I want. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in me. And it was a radical change. And that's about Jesus. That's not about me. That's about his character. And so I drove back to the Katie house and took a nap and had lunch and just tried to think, what am I going to do? I mean, I had the whole weekend ahead of me, but the weekend was going to look different now because I now knew Jesus and... Brian Habig didn't leave me there. He walked me through this process. Um, The next week, I changed my major. So this was in April. And in August, I was supposed to move to Memphis to start nursing school at the University of Memphis. And so I had my prereqs out of the way. And then you move to go to a different school. Instead of going to Jackson, Mississippi, where all my friends were doing med school and nursing school, I wanted to do something different. So I think my dream was I'll move to Memphis for a nursing degree and then work at St. Jude. Just I decided that at a young age, and that's where I was plowing through. And then, but God, I was converted, and I decided, really, hey, big, decided for me, I think you should consider ministry. So I changed my major to social work that week. I think that was like my sixth or seventh major change. And my parents are like, you know, we got to finish school at some point. Remember, you're not playing a sport. Somebody's paying for this. And so I did five years at Mississippi State, finished with a degree in social work, and then applied for the RUF internship. And I was placed at the University of Memphis, which is crazy. I never put down a place where I wanted to, to go. I just, that's where I was placed. And so I moved here in 1998 to be an RUF intern. And around 2001 or two, I decided I wanted to get a master's in counseling. So I started the program at the University of Memphis. And then I met my husband, not now husband, in 2002. He had a girlfriend. 
she disappeared. We, we, we took care of her. She, she was out of the picture. We don't really know what happened to her, but she's gone. And then we got married in 2005 and we've, you know, we've been married 14 years. He is just, I really can't talk about him long, but, uh, Colton is just most dear, kind. God's kindness to give me him is just truly overwhelming. For y'all that know him, you know this. Just tender. Just side note, I called this morning just to tell him I was about to turn my phone off. And I said, where are you? Why are you in your car? It was 825. And he said, I'm sitting in front of 200 East Galloway. And I said, why? He said, I just want to see you real quick before you, you go in to talk and I'm like, um, okay. Uh, but yeah, so we married in 2005 and we fin- both finished our master's in counseling. He chose the higher, higher education route, but I chose the kind of counseling ministry route. And then in um, 2007, we got pregnant and had a miscarriage. And that was really the first grief we dealt with in our, in our marriage, sadness. And 2009, we get pregnant with our son, who's Coleman which is my maiden name. We're all C's. <laughs> so it's Casey Coleman married Colton Cockrum. And then we had Coleman, who's 10. And then Callie, because we couldn't leave her out, had to give her a C. And she's eight. We'll get, get to her in a minute. So we had Coleman, and I love being a boy mom. When, we, when I found out I was having a boy, I'm like, hallelujah, I can do this forever. I love to be a Mom. Um, let me side note this in real quick. When when I was pregnant with the Coleman, it's the best I've ever felt. So I started having pain in my body and fatigue, like intense fatigue and pain, probably middle school, early high school. And we just assumed it was sports. I, I would have to come home and take a two hour nap before each practice and then go back to go back to school and do my practice and then go to bed early. But just just tired, you know, and then that pain continued in college, really never got many answers. And then pregnant with Coleman, I'm like, see, maybe I should just stay pregnant because I feel great. I mean, I feel fabulous with him. And so then we have Coleman. And then in um, 2010, we find out we're pregnant again. And I feel miserable. We couldn't, we, I was in and out of the hospital 20 times. The nurses and I joked that I was going to get a frequent flyer card for staying there so many times. Couldn't figure out what was going on with my body. Really no answers. And by the way, 18 week ultrasound, we go in and we're finding out if it's a boy or a girl. And of course, I've made it clear, I'm a boy mom. I mean, and the ultrasound tech, you know, the picture's up there. And I was like, I see no boy parts, people. Where are the boy parts? And she goes, it's a girl. And I went, and I look over at Colton and tears are rolling down his face. And I said, I know. And he goes, and he said, no, 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 no. I'm going to be a daddy to a little girl. And I'm like, oh, Like, God, I don't even know how to do this. That's such a picture of our personalities and his tenderness. And I'm like, I can do sports. I can play competition. And and it's just been, uh, Callie is a sheer delight. And those of you that know her know that. And and you'll hear about her in just a minute. But um, so really, my body just started shutting down. I had to deliver her at 34 weeks. We still didn't have any answers. Uh, She just did a one-week NICU stay, which is amazing. And then... No answers. Back to the doctor, back to the doctor. Tons of doctor's appointments. Can't figure it out. Possible lupus. Maybe not. We don't know. So, and then in 2011, so I have a husband, two kids, full-time job, and I decided to take up tennis because, you know, what's one more thing? And I haven't played tennis in 18 years and it's 36 years old and I picked up tennis again and it took over my life. It worked to fill a void until it didn't anymore. 
And it really, I, I played tennis so that my body, even though I was in so much pain, I needed to do something else. Like I kept struggling through, is there a purpose? Can my body still perform? Like it's just pain all the time. So I really hid behind tennis and ministry which is so interesting, such interesting things to hide by, behind. But I could give people Jesus, but then I could perform. And so it's basically those two stories that I mentioned when I was five and 11. And our tennis team did everything that it I wanted it to do. We won state and we won sectionals and we went to nationals and got second in nationals. And, and then finally in 2014, Colton said, can we talk for a minute? I said, sure. <laughs> you never want to hear anybody say that. We have a little chat. We sat down and he said... I love that you're playing tennis. I know you enjoy it. I know you're in a hard season. I really started diving into counseling and right after Callie was born to unpack some, even though I was trained as a counselor, I really needed to unpack some emotional things and, and deal with the pain that I was feeling from physical pain and how that was affecting me and the fears I had of being a girl mama. Would I be able to give Callie what she needs emotionally? Not that a boy doesn't need that. I just couldn't think in that context. And so I was all in on counseling and getting and got the lupus diagnosis. And he said, I know this is fulfilling to you and I know you enjoy it, but I feel like you're living two lives. I feel like you're hiding behind tennis or you're hiding behind your ministry and family. Like they're, the worlds aren't merging. And I'm like, (laughs) and I heard him, I heard him, but I didn't really listen to him. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Thank you for the advice and keep going. And then can you tell that I'm a little hard-headed? Like that baby stroller that got chunked in the wall because it wouldn't move on the shag carpet? That five-year-old self is so much how I've been at 36 and now 44. The Lord's mercy has to speak really loudly for me to hear, and it's really frustrating. But hopefully he's growing me in that. And then, so in 2015, I'm still playing tennis. It's my first 40 and over match. And because, you know, I didn't listen. And I went for a drop shot and I hear a pop. And I fall to the ground. My calf had a calf tear. Drop my racket on the at St. George's, sitting on the ground. And my tennis career is over, and I haven't touched a racket since. So that's a whole other story. But two weeks later, I was at a work event, and my coworker said, "You know, Casey, it kind of sounds like God's severe mercy in your life that He would allow you to have this tear so that you would actually." Stop pursuing the idol of tennis. And I was like, I don't think anybody asked your opinion, but thank you. Thank you. And I really, I didn't say that. I was like, tears rolled down my face. Yes. Yes, you are right. That is very true. So the beautiful thing in this is I want y'all to see God's character and I want to see God's character. He chased me and he chased me and he chased me and he didn't let this idol consume me, even though it did consume me in a lot of ways. He didn't leave me there. Basically, Jesus has... Jesus has been wooing me in my life and I've been shushing him for most of my life, even in ministry. I could cover it up in ministry because like, okay, we have, I have my dream job of doing director of RUF campus staff. I have the greatest husband in the whole world, two healthy kids, all the things that everybody would want. And there's still just this, I'm not looking at Jesus. I'm not looking at Jesus. I'm in pain, just shushing him and he's wooing me. He's, he's just kind of like that. I want to read this quote from Brene Brown. If y'all know me, you know I love me some Brene Brown. This quote is so good. Not caring about our own pain and the pain of others is not working. How much longer are we willing to keep pulling drowning people out of the river, one by one, rather than walking to the headwaters of the river to find the source of the pain? Pain is unrelenting. It will get our attention. Despite our attempts to drown it in addiction, to physically beat it out of one another, to suffocate it with success in material trappings, or to strangle it with our hate. 
pain will find a way to make itself known. So when I started feel, realizing how much I was hiding my pain and not going to the headwaters, we'd had, we got the lupus diagnosis. So I start, I got on a regimen that started to work and really I felt good for a few years. And then in 2018, I started like in 2017, I probably had three bad days the whole year. In 2018, I probably had three good days the whole year. Bad days would look like just immense pain, like my body's in a vice grip and extreme fatigue. But unless you're in my really, really, really inner circle, you wouldn't know that because I hit it really well. And that's not a compliment to myself, but sad. And then 2018 came in like a firestorm. I started a chemo regimen that April and we're not, I'm not sure if it's the medicine or just the years of pain, but I got really depressed. I was at RUF summer conference, which is a week at the beach and this really struggled with telling the story, but I think if I don't tell it, I think I missed the opportunity to show God's really pulling me out of the depths. So I want y'all to hear this. So we're at RUF summer conference and I was staying down the street in an Airbnb by myself and everybody else with RUF is further away. It's just, if you've been, if you stayed at Laguna beach Christian retreat, trust me, the Airbnb is the best choice. <laughs> so I'm in the Airbnb down the street by myself and the depression had really hit. I was five weeks into the chemo regimen and just giving the shot to myself. And they were hoping that since the other, other medicines didn't work, that maybe the lupus, lupus, um, the chemo would kick in my lupus into gear and stop the, stop the flares. It's really complicated, but it didn't work anyway. Uh, but I sure got depressed. And so it was 7.30 in the morning. Again, y'all, we don't wake up that early. Am I, I don't wake that up that early. But at 7.30, I woke up and left my cell phone in the Airbnb, locked it up, and walked across the street to the beach and left my flip-flops on the boardwalk and took my water bottle out to the ocean, like at the ocean's edge. And I sat on the beach and I looked out and all I could think is, hmm, I wonder if I could just swim out there and never come back. And it's, it terrified me. The fact that that's how, that's the depths of how, where I'd gotten and hidden that for the most part really well. Here I was the leader of this ministry and I'm trying to think about how I can end this. And so I sat there and cried for a long time. I knew I wasn't going to swim out there. Praise Jesus. And I don't want you to think that I tried. And I get it back up and I go inside and I call Colton and I said, hey, it's really dark. And that was kind of the terms I'd been using for a few weeks. But I was like, things are are really dark. I said, I'm going to stay here, but I'm going to leave the Airbnb, not knowing where I was going to go. But I just knew I wasn't going to stay there. I was willing to take one for the team and go to Laguna Beach. But my friend Emily was down there and she's one of my nearest and dearest friends and knows knows the story. She was at the beach at the time and I called and she's like, come on. So I packed up my stuff and went and stayed with her for the next couple of days. And just to think God's kindness in that I'm nine hours from home and a safe home space was right down the street. Again, just God's provision. So at the get back from that trip and start an antidepressant, praise the Lord, just to try to get some things try to straighten out a little bit. And then it's now July and I was leaving. I was at a work trip in Atlanta at RUF training. And this is right after Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain both committed suicide. And so things just felt really dark in the midst of that. So I'm in the hotel. I'm just like, oh, this isn't good. I need to get home. So I get home on a Friday. I'm flying to Memphis on Friday and I take an Uber from the airport to our house because I always do that. It's just that way I can kind of breathe a little bit before I enter back into the family life as opposed to them waiting there at the airport. I'm like, hey, <laughs> just breathe. Nobody talk to me. Um, and we pull up to our house as our 
the other house we lived on in High Point, and we pull up, and I see Callie sitting on the front steps, and she's seven years old at the time. I get out of the Uber, and I'm excited to see her, but all I'm thinking is like 4.30 in the afternoon. I'm like, ah, I just want to go to bed. I'm really tired. I want to go to bed. She goes, hey, Mama. I said, hey, Callie. She said, let's go for a walk. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'd love to go for a walk, which really I wanted to go to bed. So I take my suitcase, open the door and said, hey, Colton, hey, Coleman, come go walk with Callie for just a little bit. And they said, OK, come. we'll see you when you get back. So we I grab her hand and we take off down Kenwood towards High Point. I'm holding my holding her hands and I'm just so weary. I have my sunglasses on. And she said, hey, Mama. I said, yeah, Bugs. She goes, I need to tell you something like, okay. I'm thinking, what can you tell me? I love you and I need you to always be my mama. And I said, okay. And she said, out of all the mamas, I choose you as my mama. I don't want another mama out of the mouths of babes. And just in this overwhelming kindness of the Holy Spirit, I hear you, Lord. I hear you. And so we finished our walk and I just, I thanked her for her kind words. And just to think of God's tenderness through my seven-year-old to say, you can't go anywhere. What are you doing? Run to me, Jesus, not just to my family. Run to me. And so, y'all, I've spent so much of my life running from the chaos or running to chaos to get filled. And uh, it's just not working. Hiding in plain, plain sight doesn't work. And God in his sweet kindness gives us himself. He gives us Jesus to to make us be able to function in the day in and the day out. Because the one day someday is coming when there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more loss. It'll be joy and feasting. Thank you all for letting me tell you all about his work in my life. Yeah, we have a few minutes if anybody has a question for Casey. She's willing to answer. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, yeah. Thank, thanks for listening. Really, it's fun. Anything? Yeah. yeah. So how would, um, how would you say now you are doing, like, post a conversation with Callie? Yeah. Uh, I would say emotional, like depression, emotion, emotionally wise, I think I'm in a good season. Physically, I'm not in a good season. I'm, I have an appointment with a new rheumatologist in December, and hopefully we'll get some new answers. It's been a just really frustrating process. When that last medicine didn't work, it just takes a whole lot of looking to restart. So I'm, I think I just keep kind of plowing through till December and hopefully get there. But some days are good and some days are just really hard. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I'm hopeful today, one day at a time. <laughs> How has like just the body of Christ, you know, and I know you should have shared with Colton. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's it's really been a game changer. It's so interesting. I I would tell anybody you need to have community, and I'm two on the enneagram, so I'm all for <laughs> wanting to help. I just don't want to open up myself to it. I mean, our friend friends have made meals. Friends have helped get me dressed and tie my shoes, pick up our kids, just show up to be literally be the hands and feet of Jesus in my life. And I had never wanted that, just out of pride, and to think man, not only did I miss out on my friend's love and care, but they missed out as well. So it's been really sweet to see the importance of vulnerability and honesty. How aware are your kids of this time here? Not very. If Callie was, she's very perceptive at seven, eight, she's eight now. She's very perceptive. So they know the terms lupus and they're like, mama feels bad sometimes and she has to take naps and those things, but they don't know the full extent of it. It just, 
it's not the right time for me to explain that to him. They're both worriers. And so they, I'm telling you, they'd be up all night worrying about it. So right now, Colton and I are just trying to just say, hey, I, I've got to go. When I get these IV treatments right now, I have these marks on my arms. And so instead, instead of them assuming something, I'm doing something off the rails, <laughs> which is not not crazy <laughs> considering where I've, what I've done and been. But uh, that, back to that heinous sin, exactly. Speaking of, we have to just explain I'm getting vitamins. And so we try to try to do that. All right, yep. I would like to do something. This is not comfortable for me at all. Uh, Can we lay hands on you and pray for you? There are so many places where we can start in discussing Casey's story because I think it's it's so applicable to all of us. Yeah. I mean, even just the when she talks about filling the void with other things, filling her void with ministry, mm-hmm. filling her void with tennis, filling mm-hmm. her void. You know, it could be our kids. It could be a, a thousand different things mm-hmm. where we try and fill that void. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times when people think you're in ministry, like Casey is, that you, you have it all together, mm-hmm. or at least spiritually, you're just right where you're supposed mm-hmm. to be. And it's just the reality that there are there are times that we're hurt or we're lost or and we need Jesus and there's nothing else that will work other than him yeah I mean her story just really stirs up so many similarities for me and my 90s self Um, you know it's like um back I mean I still struggle with this but just the rebellion and how I really used to fear a life led by Jesus and those feelings still creep up to this day And we just, like she said, um, hiding in plain sight doesn't work. Jesus is always there with us, and we can run to him. Mm -hmm. But she just just the descriptions of her story and just the scene she sets at the beginning, it's just like she just, I just felt like she was speaking to me directly. It's like my Patagonias. (laughs) Dawn, I see you in the forerunner. Yes. Riding through campus. a good picture for those of us who grew up in that era. Yes. Absolutely. And, and hey, hiding in plain sight at the end when she said, I've spent my life either running from chaos or running to it. Because a lot of times we think we can hide in the chaos. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be in the chaos so that I don't have to feel the hollow mm-hmm. hole in my heart. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, come to me and I will fill that hole that you have. And then I think you feel bad that you feel like you have a hole. And so you're trying to create more chaos or I'm going to be a good person and, and really... He's there. He keeps pursuing mm-hmm. us. Oh, my gosh, yes. That, that was really what stuck out to me was the sweetness of Jesus and that how he just meets us where we are. And right. I love the end that God used her baby girl to give a little God wink to yeah. her and that, that he is there. He is in the midst of it. You know, so often I think when we are in the middle of chaos or we're running to chaos, we just don't think he's there. And, and he is there in the midst of it. It reminds me of the story, you know, in the Bible where Jesus says, you know, I'm the good shepherd Mm -hmm. and a good shepherd goes after his sheep. He's going to leave the 99 and go after the one. And I feel like Casey was the one right there on the edge of the shore that Jesus, Jesus just met her right there and then confirmed that with his tender mercies through her seven-year-old daughter. Yeah. And it was just, it was beautiful. And I just, I, again, I love her vulnerability and honesty. Mm -hmm. So refreshing. We are so thankful to Casey and for Memphis for for bringing us this story and look forward to next week's story from Lori out of Katy, Texas.
And so we thank you all for listening today. We ask you to rate, review on Apple iTunes. It helps our podcast. If you love our podcast and share it with friends, we do ask that you personally would subscribe and then rate and review so that other people can find us and follow us online at Storytellers Live Podcast on Instagram and on Facebook at Storytellers Live. You can join our email list. We'd love for you to to hop on over and subscribe to our email list. And that's on our website, which is StorytellersLive.org. And we look forward to you joining us next week. Week. 